Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a rapt audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. If your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheets. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Twin XL. Now here's your hosts, Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. Hi, everybody. It's Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro, and we are recording in our homes separately, far away from one another uh, during this extraordinary time. Um, we want to acknowledge that this is uh, unprecedented, and while we uh, usually make sure that we are uh, together and able to see one another as we're recording uh, our podcast, uh, doing the, during this uh, extraordinary time, we obviously are making every precaution possible, um, and we are recording uh, from our homes. So we want to acknowledge uh, the circumstance. We want to thank Dave, our producer, for pulling us together virtually. And um, we want to thank you all for being here. Uh, Beth, how are you doing? Thank you for asking. Um, I am doing okay. I am still working. Well, I am working from home, but I still work on a campus. And so the past week or so on my campus, as it has been on many, has been very busy, very uh, a lot of change, a lot of fast change, a lot of pivoting from one thing to another really within a day. Um, and it's been a lot, uh, for everyone on campus, students and staff and faculty to adjust to. And I think that's the experience and, and parents obviously, which is why we're recording this episode. Um, so that's kind of why, uh, we wanted to have this conversation today is that, uh, our audiences, of course, we know there's lots of different people in our audience, but our sort of target audience is parents of college students. And we know that college parents out there, you were probably thinking about um, maybe having your student home for spring break sometime soon, maybe this week. Um, but you might not have been thinking about having them home permanently until May. Um, and some of you may have been preparing to go to commencement. And now that is either not happening or very much up in the air. And uh, things are, we are Colleges are changing how they're teaching. Um, we're all changing how we're providing services. And that's something that I think is a lot of kind of building the airplane while we're flying it, because most schools have not done these things ever. Um, we're going to, we're probably going to say the word unprecedented like 80 times in the course of this yeah. hour, because it truly is. So yeah, that's, that's what's happening. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that we need to realize is that uh, because this is an unprecedented situation, uh, we wanted to make sure that we brought in two people uh, who could help us 
kind of manage this uh, from a question standpoint. Um, we do have uh, two guests with us. Uh, we have Dr. Rich DiCapua from one class and Dr. Pat Whiteley from the University of Miami. I'm going to turn things over to Rich right now to introduce himself and tell us a quick uh, little bit about himself and what makes him Rich DiCapua. So, so that's going to be hard to, to live up to for that introduction for sure. But uh, I am uh, the Vice President for Academic Affairs for One Class, and we are an online learning platform with about 2.6 million students around the globe. Our work right now is how do we work with high schools and with colleges to allow them to continue the work of education and learning as they are pivoting, like Beth had just said, and what Pat will obviously talk about, to this online format. Uh, before that, I did work for about 20 years in the student affairs world, so I certainly understand that as well. Uh, and just to add on to what Beth had said, it's not only about the parents, families, and, and guardians who have college students. We have a lot of families who also have uh, children in the secondary education market as well. So that's a whole other layer of, you know, for a larger family, how are we as a unit, a family unit, going to figure out how we are continuing in this time of um, AP exams and SATs being postponed? Uh, what does remote education look like for high school versus college? What is the information that we're getting from our leaders in the academy in both of those sectors? Um, so a lot of unknown, a lot of, um, a lot of trepidation in terms of, of what uh, folks are going to have to do. I think my big takeaway from just watching this is, and we all know this, education as an industry tends to not be something that pivots very easily. New ideas aren't incorporated in a timely way. And this will not only test how we do things, but in the way in which we can make decisions quickly and then scale to really service our students. Thank you, Rich. Uh, I've known just in the interest of through uh, transparency, I've known Rich for about half of his adult life. So uh, if I get testy with Rich, it's because I love him dearly. Okay. Um, the next person I want to have introduce themselves when I was thinking about one of the best positioned humans to manage a, a crisis on any college campus, I thought of Pat Whiteley. Uh, Pat is someone I've known for quite some time. Uh, and uh, she's at the University of Miami and she's handled every possible type of crisis and I thought there couldn't be a better person. Pat, can you can you introduce yourself and how are you doing down there in Miami? Sure, Laura. Uh, great to be with everyone, even uh, as we uh, navigate unchartered waters. Uh, Pat Whiteley, been the Vice President for Student Affairs at the University of Miami for 23 years, and I've been at the University of Miami my entire career, so that's 38 years. And as I told somebody, I've seen three hurricanes uh, and the financial crisis, 9-11, uh, and a lot of other things in between. And uh, this is incredibly challenging for us all. Uh, we're doing okay here. Uh, we are probably, as Beth said, probably in the same situation, uh, pivoting. You know, you you start out by being pretty optimistic. Hey, we can weather this for three weeks, get back, get everybody back. And uh, the news continues to be grim and we have to make decisions based on, you know, what the federal government is telling us. And so we are, like everybody else, online for the rest of the semester and working with our students to, I would say, 
power down our residence halls to have as few students as possible. So our mantra right now is encourage you to leave, discourage you from coming back. Unfortunately, as you all know, uh, on the podcast, uh, we have something that uh, you don't have right now in Boston. You will have it in a couple of weeks, but uh, we have beautiful weather, so everyone wants to be here. So we are working hard with our housing, our student life, all of our student affairs, um, and uh, doing our best to get the best information out to the university community as quickly as possible. All right. We always start our shows off because data. Uh, you know, Beth loves her data, so there's always time for data. Let's talk about that real quick. Why did the colleges decide to close up shop and send people home, Beth? Okay, so this is a little bit of a non-traditional data segment because I don't have like numbers in the same way. But Pat uh, started talking about it a little bit. Um, a lot of colleges, nearly. I don't know that I could say everyone in America, but close to it feels like. Um, we are moving to online instruction. We are telling students, if you can go somewhere else, go home or somewhere that you can stay off campus, you should. Um, springtime events are being canceled. Commencements are probably going to be canceled. The reason is that decreasing the density of people is key. Um, we are in our country about 10 days behind places like Italy. And if you look um, if you're on social media or watching the news at all, you've seen that 10 days ago in Italy, folks were still gathering in public places, still kind of doing life as usual. And now they're seeing a lot of really rapidly increasing cases of coronavirus and a lot of deaths. Um, college campuses are a place where large groups congregate, even if they're not trying to. <laughs> like, even if we were to say don't have events, there are still huge lecture halls. There are still dining halls. Um, if the weather is nice, people still want to go hang out on the quad. Um, and that's something that the colleges and universities would have found extremely hard to regulate. Also, residence halls are basically big old stationary cruise ships. And if we're not able to decrease the density in those spaces quickly um, and have a lot fewer people around, if a large group of students were to get sick on a campus, I can't think of many campuses that really have the capacity to handle that and appropriately care for and support, you know, tens or dozens or hundreds of students who are ill at the same time. Um, this is really difficult for everyone. Um, I think largely, and I can only speak to my own experience, um, most students and their families have been understanding if, you know, upset and sad about it. Um, but the staffs and faculty folks and everyone at all of the colleges are working very hard to try to do this in the best way possible. But we acknowledge this is really difficult for everyone. And it's especially going to be difficult for people, uh, for the seniors who we're hoping to, we're looking forward to commencement. It's going to be difficult for students who have any kind of disability, especially if it's any kind of learning difference that for in which the sort of pivot to online learning is going to be an additional challenge for them. And it's also really difficult if home is not a safe place for a student, if their family is maybe not, uh, is food insecure or doesn't have secure housing. Um, and luckily, I think most schools are making exceptions or trying to troubleshoot those situations. Um, but it obviously hearing as a student, hey, everyone's got to go if you can go. And you know that home is not the best place for you for various reasons. That's, that's pretty, um, 
that's pretty scary news at first until you're able to talk with someone at the college about how to manage. Thank you, Beth. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, we're going to have uh, Rich and Pat chime in with what would they be telling if they could sit down with a parent right now? Uh, and what are the most important things that parents should be keeping in mind with their college students living at home? So we'll be right back after the break. Twin XL is supported by Sunstein, Kahn, Murphy & Timbers, a boutique law firm specializing in intellectual property. Sunstein's attorneys are passionate representatives of their clients' ideas, technologies, and brands. And Sunstein's broad range of expertise in the intellectual property field, including patent and trademark litigation, sets it apart from the competition. Visit Sunstein at sunsteinlaw.com. That's S-U-N-S-T-E-I-N-Law.com. Contact Sunstein to see how your intellectual property can be winning intellectual property. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for coming back. Um, I wanted to give a minute now for Pat and uh, Rich to give us some thoughts for parents who are our audience. Uh, what are the tips that they would provide uh, to parents right now in this unprecedented reality of having their child at home? Or possibly maybe your child is is back at school or has decided to stay with some friends or something like that. Uh, I want to start with Rich because his focus is really on academics. And then I'm going to have Pat uh, chime in on uh some of the maybe more of the support of the students. So, uh, Rich, why don't you start? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I appreciate the question. I, I think from my own experience and some of the colleges that we work with, it is not only are we in it for the long haul, we have just begun this process of most high school students and college students who have returned home haven't been home and been sheltering in place in some instances for a long period of time. So this kind of new normal of what this is going to look like hasn't even panned out yet. So a couple of things specifically academically, I know every single college and university out there is really trying to figure out how do we continue to deliver quality online education uh, in a way that they're, that they're not used to. And I think to what Beth had said, uh, most families are pretty sympathetic to that as as people are are trying to pivot. Um, what we are seeing and the advice that I'm giving parents is how are you setting up what will be the new normal schedule in your household? So it isn't just kind of the, the days are free for alls. How do you structure things in a way where people are continuously improving, studying, engaging with their college or university, whatever that looks like? I think a absolutely critical aspect of what higher education has to do and is trying to do is how do you scale online academic support services in an industry where almost all of the outside of the classroom help is either going to your faculty member, going to the TA office hours, going to academic uh, support services in a place where most of those tutors and most of the help are also peer students. So without all of that, how are we as an industry, and I consider what I do and higher education in the same boat, what are they able to do? And I don't think it is, um, I don't think it's wrong for parents and families to be reaching out to ask, what are the questions of how is this going to manifest itself as we go later on into the semester? Uh, again, I think families are, are pretty good at knowing that an email or a call to any one institution that people are super overloaded right now and they have to let 
Um, they have to let things uh, lay. Uh, probably the biggest point of advice I would have for parents is really having the discussion with your son or daughter about, tell me about what your daily life was like in college outside of the classes and the activities. How did you work with you know group projects? How did you get extra help support? And how are we going to mirror that support at home? Because not all of it is going to translate to an online environment or even colleges having the capacity to do that. And that's not a, a knock on colleges. That's that's the reality of where we are. And so parents are going to have to even be more engaged with their kids on how are we going to be able to help deliver some of those services so that some of the academic stuff um, doesn't get lost. And, and one last thing, and, I, and certainly hand it over to, to Pat in her capacity is, you know, I'm hearing from a lot of colleges that I'm working with that one of their biggest fears is that Students will go home and then they will just place academics as a non-priority. And uh, because of the crisis, uh, the ability to not engage in that in a way that they would if they were still on campus. And that's really concerning in terms of people's academic skill set and levels. And when they ultimately do come back to the college campus, what is that going to look like in their ability to be successful academically if you kind of been in neutral for you know, three, four, maybe five months. Well, thank you, Rich. Pat, what are your thoughts on that? Um, as you know, some of the things that that Rich brought up there about normalcy and what does normalcy look like. But what are some of the the pieces of uh, feedback you would give to parents right now? Sure, I think Rich's comments were awesome. Uh, I think you have to acknowledge first uh, there your students uh, may be grieving. There's loss that they're experiencing, they've just been taken from their friends, their community, especially the older your college student is. Uh, yesterday, I spent a lot of time really soothing the seniors uh, that are just devastated by everything being canceled and uh, everything that's going on. They're not going to have those closure experiences that they cherish. At the same time, I also think as a parent, you kind of have to adjust to the college student, the family schedule, and recognize that, you know, they might have classes that are beginning at 5 p.m. every night. Well, that kind of doesn't click in terms of dinner and those kinds of things. So you have to think about, like, they're in your house, they've returned, but this is their priority. How can you support them? Um, and they also don't need you to ask them, uh, you know, are they getting their assignments in? You know, this is different than it, even, you know, high school. Um, and so there are, they have been hopefully autonomous learners up to this point, even though they've moved their, um, you know, their computers to your home. They want you. You want to continue to support them. You know, they they could have different sleeping schedules. They could get on group chats at two in the morning because that's when everybody's available. Especially if there's some international students that are in their groups that are doing projects. So there's all kinds of nuances with this that I think are a little bit different uh, than high school secondary learning in terms of college. Uh, and so I think you have to think be adjusted to supporting that. Uh, I don't think you should say you don't have to help out at all during the, at the, you know, in the home or anything, but I think their level of being able to do a lot of things is going to be limited until they get through the semester, especially because 
for many, this is all new. And for many of the faculty, it is new. So you put all of that together. And I think parents are just have to be understanding about um, how this is going to play out. I think that's all really great information. I teach uh, in the graduate program at at uh, Boston University, and I had my first online class last night. And what I spent the first uh, 15 minutes on is basically checking in with folks and making sure that they were doing okay. And, uh, you know, but then I think the dynamic is also going to change with your faculty and your staff members that these students are interacting with in a virtual uh, space. Um, you know, I had my dog sitting on my lap for part of my class. I had, you know, my daughter come in and ask me a question, not realizing that I was teaching, you know, I mean, these things are, you know, you've got these weird interruptions and life is going to have to keep going on while, you know, we're trying to do this work. Um, and it changes the dynamic. I had a, an interesting conversation with a first year student who I've, uh, uh, of a, one of my uh, friend's uh, children, and she was really going through that, you know, Pat's point about grieving. She finally felt like she had her legs underneath her getting into her transition into college. And now she's feeling like that was a year wasted, you know? Um, Pat, what are your thoughts on, you know, if somebody was a first year student versus, uh, you know, someone who might be academically struggling right now, should parents be worried about, is the child going to be able to get back into the swing of things in terms of academics? Well, look, I think as parents, we know our children, hopefully, right? And so I think it, you have that information. You hopefully should know how well they were doing, at least in the first semester, um, if you have access to that information. And then, you know, yeah, I think you have to have an honest conversation with them in terms of is potentially, is there something else that parents could do for them? Do they need additional tutoring if that's a possibility even? Um, so, you know, look, I think for the first years and the second years, that's going to be more challenging right now because they're kind of in between. They're not as established with their community, but yet they've not been with their high school community for a year. So, you know, I think that you just have to maybe have your ears and eyes open a little bit more um, and to figure out how you can support them. I don't know if there's a blanket answer. It just depends on. And the other thing, a lot of us, and, and, and Rich, I'm sure you know this, like a lot of us are doing tutoring uh, on, you know, using virtual uh platforms. So our academic resource center at the university is doing that. So asking parents to kind of reach out and what resources are going to be available to help them through this. Rich, why don't you talk a bit about uh, your, and I'm going to ask uh, Pat to make sure she's turning off her mic. We're in a weird situation where we have to have everybody turn mics on and off and that sort of thing. Uh, Rich, let us know, what are your thoughts about how uh, People can actually utilize the resources on the campus, um, but also supplement with other resources that will help to potentially heighten a student's ability to be successful in this odd situation. Yeah, I mean, what Pat had had just said is exactly right where it needs to be. And, and hopefully parents and families and guardians, whatever that construct is, know their kids and know how they how they learn. 
Um, even the best institution with the most resources is not going to be able to deliver its resources at 100% to all of the student population should they want it, um, especially around academic resources. So parents have to be savvy on finding ways to supplement things that are needed, and especially for our first-year students. You know, I, I think there isn't a person who works in higher ed who wouldn't classify first-year students as the most academically vulnerable population on campus, the ones that are, at this point of the year, starting to finally get a foothold, starting to finally understand what the schedule kind of looks like, finally trying to, you know, really understand if they're going to declare that major or what that second year is going to look like. That's why, you know, a company like myself is trying to supplement all of that online learning by doing tutoring hours in these common core places and streaming that information um, and doing one-to-many sessions for colleges and universities to uh, to absorb some of that capacity of, of what that can of what that can look like. Um, and I think for any institution, we are a people industry. We are about the face-to-face. We are about getting to know students. I know every institution is concerned about even with the best platform that we can come up with. Do we have the staff? the faculty, the personnel to actually be able to deliver things in a way that is helpful because we all know if we don't start delivering things in a way that responds to the needs of students, they are going to tune out or they will not be invested in what is be, being put in front of them. So higher education has, has a, a big job to do. The industry that supports it has a big job to do. And parents have to play a greater role in navigating the combination of these things to really help their uh, sons and daughters be successful in this downtime. Great. Thank you. Beth had something. So I wanted to expand a bit on something that Pat said, which is that students are grieving. Um, students and their families are grieving the loss of, you know, what they expected out of this year. And also beyond that, many students were already managing uh, different mental and emotional health issues on their campuses. I can't speak to what every single campus is doing. In fact, that's, <laughs> I don't know if we said this at the top, but we're not here to really talk about what each campus is doing individually um, because campuses are making the best choices they can for their populations. But um, if you are concerned about your student that they need to continue uh, mental health services while they're at home and they don't have access to someone locally, um, you could help them to find out from their campus, are the uh, mental health providers going to be doing any kind of remote services? Um, and if they are able to hook back up with someone they've been seeing locally while they're at home, that's great. Um, just recently, the um, federal government and some state governments, uh, Massachusetts being one of them, have made concessions for our current situation when it comes to telehealth um, and really loosened the regulations around those things. So um, federally, uh, HIPAA, rules are being relaxed in that um, the OCR is not going to go after anyone for a HIPAA violation if they determine that the provider was acting in good faith in this situation. Um, so that may mean that providers are who were not doing telehealth before will be able to, um, and that things will be, um, the providers will be paid by Medicare and Medicaid, which they wouldn't necessarily have been before. So there's a lot of recognition on the part of 
finally the federal government and also some state governments that this is a time when we really need to make it possible for as many people to use their healthcare remotely as is possible so that folks can continue to stay home, stay out of doctor's office waiting rooms and other public spaces where this virus could be transmitted easily, but still access some of the services that they need. Um, And at a sort of remove from that that is less clinical, it is a time when I like what um, folks have already said about like staying connected with friends on campus and other things is going to be important for your student. And they luckily can hopefully do that through things like FaceTime or Zoom or other video um, sharing apps where they can talk to one another, maybe gather in groups remotely. Um, I think this is going to be really important for people. We know already the toll that it takes to be isolated for a long time. Um, It's not great. And so we need to try to utilize technology to the best of our ability to, to get over that hump and try to stay connected with each other, even though we can't necessarily see folks in person. We're going to take a quick break. And then after that break, I'm going to ask uh, Rich and Pat to jump in and talk about uh, how do you communicate with the campus? And when is it, in your mind, a good idea to communicate with the campus in terms of what your child might be struggling with in this situation? So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back about how do you then decide to communicate back to the campus? Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head, literally. Pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to Pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride Podcast. The hilarious show known as Shawshanked. And the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. I'm going to ask Pat the first question. One of the things that I want us to really think about is when you are having this scenario happening in your home and the campus does not know what's happening, you don't know if anyone in the home is sick, you do not know if anything is happening, um, how do you, would you give uh, pointers to parents about when to communicate to campus? Um, you know, look, I, I think it's really hard um, to think about when the right time is, uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, I would rather parents err on uh, caution and giving us a heads up to see if we can help rather than not saying anything. So uh, certainly, you know, our social workers, our dean of students office, our counseling center, my office, um, all responds to parents ASAP um, and tries to help them. Um, It's been pretty interesting. I just wanted to say in this era of social media. uh, So Miami has a, like many schools, a cool parent Facebook group, 3,037 parents. And uh, one could say, well, you should, as the vice president for student affairs, stay away from all of that. Don't get involved. 
However, I'm about to become a cool parent at the University of Miami because my daughter's coming there. So right. it just happens that I have joined. And, you know, it's interesting because that's been really helpful. In fact, yesterday, I actually had an interview with the moderator of the group, and she placed my interview online to on the Facebook group and was able to handle so many questions for parents of things that they were thinking about. So, um, you know, I've been able to pick up things for that and then we follow up. But I think if parents have questions, they should reach out to respective offices, should never hesitate to call the dean of students or the vice president for student affairs. Um, my priority is when I hear from a parent and a student, those are my constituencies and everybody else can fall in line after that. So I think... Um, err on the side of caution. At the same time, I would also caution about being a helicopter or snowplow parent because that is not your role either. I think it's an interesting point, uh, Pat, that you said, you know, like institutions are utilizing uh, social media in various ways. Um, And I think there's also this, I I guess I need to caution people and also let them understand um, you know, my husband is a, a an administrator at a college, and last night he got a phone call from a parent at 10:30 at night. Um, and we need to remind people is that in this time, like when we have so much connectivity, people, and yet we're in this kind of insular, weird environment where you're kind of cut off from folks. Um, you may not get an immediate phone call back, even though you might be up at two o'clock in the morning and your whole life has been shifted upside down. Um, Or some institutions may become a 24 hour a day, seven day a week environment. And um, at least during this this, uh, crisis. Uh, Rich, what are your thoughts on academic support and what can the campuses be doing in terms of responding to parents in in this time? Um, and when should a parent make that phone call that their kid is is maybe a bit more at risk than they thought they were? Right. And and I think the problem with uh, the problem that's going to face colleges and universities right now is uh, you want to get a lot of info out. How much is too much? And when are you just inundating people with things that they can't digest? Because obviously, being at home, you are you are gathering a lot and digesting a lot of information that's coming from a bunch of different sources. So, and certainly colleges and universities in terms of their communications departments are, are obviously involved in this, but I can only guess that for any institution out there, there is high level institutional uh, um, outreach. There is stuff coming from Dean of Students. There's stuff coming from academic support. There's stuff coming from the specific major of the student, maybe their faculty member. I do not believe we are at the point yet where any college or university can ethically say we are operating at 100% with our online learning. This is going to be an experiment that is going to take weeks to be able to iron out some of the difficulties. And parents have to be very proactive in terms of asking, how is this process going for you? Uh, with the understanding of everyone's trying to do something new and, and we're all and we're all learning together. There will be faculty members that are going to be wildly successful and they've never done it before. There are going to be some faculty members that really struggle with delivering content online. There is content that is just easier to be delivered online. Um, we need to make sure in terms of the support services, 
there are not academic support services or tutoring centers anywhere that are prepared for the capacity of everybody needing help now. Who are the people that generally go to academic support services? They are generally high achieving students who know exactly what they need and they're coming to get help or their students, for lack of a better term, are told to go there because they are struggling in some way. There is a whole middle ground of students that don't go there for a number of reasons. I'm not gonna go get tutoring because people are gonna think that I'm not doing well and I'm failing myself. I don't wanna be um, uh, tutored by somebody who's a peer. I don't want people knowing that I'm struggling in that way. Well, all of those students are going to be struggling now because not only are they lacking the understanding of the content, they also are now operating in an environment that is very, very foreign to them. So parents have to be very aware of once these things start to get going, you know, in this week and then in this next week. And what I'm hearing from most colleges is we're just trying to lay the foundation right now. We're trying to get through what is the content we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks, really shore that up and then kind of go to this next modality of, of what we're going to do. Um, you students will just go, they'll go online, they'll do what they think they need to do. And like most younger people will not ask those questions. Parents and family members have to be proactive and ask the questions of, even though it seems like things are going well, are you getting all of the support that you need? The hard part is gonna be, there's gonna come a point where higher education is not gonna be able to supplement everything that happened on campus when that student was there. And families are going to have to make some choices of what do we have to do as a family unit to engage with other sources that make up for, for all of those things. Uh, and lastly, I can't stress enough what, what Beth was saying and Pat already alluded to about, you know, we talk about the vulnerable populations, we talked about first year students academically. Well, we all know who the vulnerable populations are with regard to mental health or trauma on our campuses. And what does that look like in this, uh, in this environment of self-isolation? Um, it really, you know, worries me in terms of you know how we are going to help those students be successful just as people right because a lot of the work of higher ed is helping people be people and help them be their true authentic self and ha help them uh with coping strategies around the things that are impacting their daily life um that's that's probably the number one struggle that we're going to see in the short term i think that one of the questions i've gotten from parents and this is kind of a light question but i think it's it gets to something here is that you know i had a parent reach out to me on on twitter and say my kid has not showered in 2 days and my kid has not gotten off the couch in 3 days and what do i do about that and i you know, uh, there's a certain amount of rules that I would put out there as far as expectations of, look, we need to, in this time of, of a pandemic, we need to have good uh, basic personal hygiene. But, you know, I try to remind them that the way that your kid is studying on campus may actually blow your mind because they may be studying lying on their bed or lying on a couch. They may not be sitting at a desk in a library. Um, so what they're doing in your space at home is not atypical to what was happening on campus. Um, I'm interested in hearing what you would say, each of you, and I'll start with Beth and we'll go to Pat and then Rich. 
what would you say to parents about those things that are probably going to make their make them scratch their heads and go, what am I doing here? Am I actually parenting well? Am I doing a good job? Um, let's talk with, with Beth first. <laughs> I feel unqualified to say if anyone is parenting well. Um, but I actually would go back. I'm thinking about an episode we did um, back in the fall about breaks, about when your student comes home for winter break. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, there can be a grace period. There can be like, hey, you're coming home on X day. And until like for the first five days, you can do whatever. We won't have a schedule. You can like sleep in, you can do whatever. Um, But then the importance of maybe trying to at least suggest, if not impose some structure. And I think that's important in this situation because this period of them being at home is going to be lengthy, much lengthier than any of the breaks that happen during the academic year normally. Um, I think everyone has to do what's going to work for them. I'm not saying this as an absolute. I don't know your family. I don't know what will work for you. And I agree with Laura that your student is going to have some habits they have established. Some might work really well for them. Some might not, but it's not going to go well if on day one, you're like in there, you know, you're in their room, like in a Beastie Boys video being like, sit at that desk, stop partying, you know, whatever. Um, I think it does make sense though, that if you're concerned that they're not getting out of bed and not showering and not doing all those things that just sort of are basic taking care of themselves, which also can be a sign of mental health issues down the road. Um, it might make sense to say, hey, you know, like in the case of my campus, this was supposed to be spring break anyway this week. So if I were the parent of a student on my campus, I might say to them, hey, this was supposed to be your break. Chill out, sleep in, stay in your PJs all day, whatever. But like your classes are going to resume next week. To Rich's point, the faculty are still going to be figuring it out. But let's make an let's make a plan that starting on Monday, we're going to have a bit of a schedule. You're going to you're going to shower. You're going to get up. You're going to be vertical and doing kind of day-to-day tasks. Great. Thank you. Uh, Beth, um, sorry, not Beth, you're Beth. Uh, Pat, uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think this is um, a challenge, certainly. Um, But I do think parents have to, the students are living in their homes again. And so there has to be, I think Lori said this a couple minutes ago, there has to be expectations about how one is going to be living in community in the family unit for the foreseeable future. And in my mind, you know, not taking a shower for three days affects everybody else, right? So, I mean, I think that that is reasonable. Uh, and at the same time, understanding that their autonomy has been taken away um, and it's autonomy that they are still working on. Right. So you have to just acknowledge that. But, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. And they also have to be sensitive to the community that they are living in um, and recognizing, though, that there could be some schedule differences and things like that that I said before. So those are my comments. Great. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Rich, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm going to add it from from the level of, of what social media could and, in my opinion, should look like and how parents can play a role in this. Um, to, to what Pat had said with regard to loss and especially for seniors, I don't know if that loss in terms of how it's felt actually translates to uh, parents and families in terms of how 
they think of that as as impact. Um, it certainly is going to hurt students and impact them, I think, more than what uh, their parents actually realize. Uh, and I say this with regard to, you know, having a, a daughter myself who's in high school, who is heavy social media and, you know, working a lot just because all we do in, in, in my company is online. So what I'm seeing right now is how are students redefining what social media means in terms of interaction? Right now, these interactions are very one to one. Um, either through texting or you're FaceTiming somebody, but most often you're posting or you are reviewing other people's stuff. So if I'm on Snapchat and I'm just looking at people's snaps from people who I was at the University of Miami with, right? And all of these snaps are just like, oh my God, this sucks and this is negative and all of this. That's not going to be helpful in terms of the mental well-being for what what, what students actually need. So how do you redefine social media and contact with people to be something that is positive and proactive? So some of the things that I'm seeing are, um, you know, groups of friends should pick, you know, a specific either Netflix series or something to watch and you actually watch it together, right? You turn on FaceTime, you go into a group, you do things like Zoom and how do you recreate shared experiences with people where you can actually talk about those things and not the things that have, that are not happening anymore. So that's one. I think two, um, you know, as Beth had said, you know, faculty are going to be figuring it out. I think the really savvy faculty are going to be the ones where it isn't just hopping online to Zoom and talking about things, but what is media that can be uh, digested uh, by classes or in group projects that really increase communication between people? Because we all know that's what those are the high impact practices. We know about those. We know those are the things that work on all college campuses. How can you uh, recreate those things in a classroom setting or in an assignment setting or just in a personal setting so that the education and the communication that we're having is something that is high impact and it's not transactional? These are all great pieces of advice. I think that the last thing I want to do before we close out is um, give everybody a chance to maybe make one last kind of pitch about you know, where they're at right now and what are some of the things that we should be considering, knowing that we are literally in the only the first few days of this. And um, as we are kind of ex kind of reflecting on where things are at, um, what are some final thoughts? Um, so I want to start with Beth and then we'll go to Pat. And then uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Rich will be the last one to make a statement. I would just echo what you said, Laura, that like this is we still don't know a lot. There's a lot of unknown. And that is not something that's easy for most people. I certainly don't like not knowing what's coming. Um, as a control freak, this is very difficult. But I think that we need to do our best to um, really just, I guess, be kind to ourselves. That sounds a little, <laughs> it's a lot more woo-woo than I usually am. But I think that we are at the beginning of a marathon. This is not a sprint. Um, this situation is going to be going on for definitely many, many weeks at least. Um, and folks who are on the sort of science side of this are still figuring out what what this is going to look like. And until we know, we kind of have to assume that this situation we are in is going to last at least six to eight weeks, I think, is what people are starting to realize. That's a long time. Um, if your situation in your house with getting like reintegrating your college student is not going perfectly on day three, that's okay. If um, it goes well for a few weeks and then you hit a rough patch 
several weeks in, that's also okay. Um, I'm not here to say it's going to be easy for everyone. I, my husband and I are here with a five-year-old trying to do that for six weeks. So send wine. Um, but (laughs) it's, it's going to be long and we need to sort of prepare ourselves for ups and downs and measure how we're doing by how things are going over the long term, not by day-to-day stuff. Just uh, unprecedented times, as we said at the start. Huge challenges ahead. Patience, staying calm, breathing, recognizing that we're all in this together, um, helping out each other, finding an opportunity to figure out what gratitude looks like in your day keeping our blessings at the forefront and recognizing and hoping and praying that it's only eight weeks. Somebody told me right now, if it's going to, that it's going to be eight weeks. I'm, I'm good with that. What I worry about if it's longer and what will happen, especially to higher education in terms of recruiting students for the fall and all of those things. And I guess the other thing is, you know, you have to give folks hope. And so for us, uh, we've canceled commencement, obviously, like the rest of the crowd. But I think it's important to say to our students, we're going to have a commencement. A lot of places are too big. They can't do it. Lots of reasons why you can't do it. But we can and have decided uh, to move to December. And so our December commencement will be regular Thursday. And then Friday, we will invite the graduates back, those that want to participate, certainly, to do so. And, uh, you know, we we think we'll probably get half. Uh, Friday and Saturday, we'll probably have a couple of commencement ceremonies. So uh, we're excited to announce that information tomorrow morning. And the reason we're doing it is to give folks and our students and our seniors hope that they would get that experience. So those are some of my thoughts. Uh, You know, I've dealt with hurricanes and all kinds of things. And I've never seen anything like this. And so, um, you know, our hearts are going out to everyone, especially those that are having to manage working at home, like Beth's doing, um, and a five-year-old. Uh, you know, th- that is, that's hard. Or multiple children. Uh, that is very, very challenging. I'm lucky that I have a senior in high school and, uh, you know, I left her this morning and like moving, move along, get ready for remote learning, but she can learn on her own for the most part. Um, and so I don't have to worry about being there for her during these times. So thank you so much, Laura and Beth, for inviting us and, and David and Rich for being on it. And I loved being with Rich again, uh, old colleagues from NASPA. Uh, Rich, thoughts from you? Yeah, I think just to close it out, I always go back to the, to the Mr. Rogers quote, you know, always look for the helpers, right? There, there will always be people helping. And I think when we are at a point now where traditional hierarchy and workflows are not going to work because of the unprecedented nature of the crisis that is in front of all of us who work in the realm of education, there will be partnerships that will organically happen because of need. And I really do feel that if you, from those who are either in the high schools or work in colleges or work in ed tech like myself, you know, we do that because we want to help students. And I think that there is a tremendous opportunity for folks to collaborate with one another, one out of necessity, but also because the traditional 
workflow of how to make things happen. We need to make things happen yesterday. And so that's going to create an opportunity to synthesize relationships that maybe weren't there before. Um, I, I love the notion that, that Pat had uh, with regard to hope. If we don't give the people who we work with or the people who we educate, our colleagues, whatever that looks like, our, 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 our sons and daughters, students who we know and we're not seeing right now, if we don't give them a finish line, knowing even that it will be difficult, um, that is going to increase the anxiety of these students even higher than it is right now. So, and remember, these are people that are getting information, most of it untrue, right, from all different types of media sources that are just going to exacerbate what they're thinking about this. We have to be the voice. We have to be definitive in that we will get through this. We have to give a path of we are going to do these things so that at the end of this crisis, we will be a stronger community, no matter what the college is that you're at, and that we are going to persevere and build ahead. We're all part of the family. That family is um, fractured right now because of geographically the need. But at some point, we are going to come back together and our community is going to be stronger. Thank you guys so much. I guess my last point of all of this is kind of building off of a few of the things that have come up. Uh, if you find somebody on social media or something that connects with you, uh, Pat brought it up earlier, the use of the Facebook group at the university where she's at right now for the parents. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody um, and say, look, something you said really touched me. Some of something you said really gave me some optimism. I want to thank you for what you said. Um, you may find a sense of strength and a sense of uh, optimism through somebody that is a stranger. And uh, right now we all need to pull from one another and uh, support one another in ways that uh, might be different than um, other ways. Um, I think in our ways of doing life uh, previously, um, we get very comfortable with the people we see on a regular basis. Um, now we have to be more intentional about seeing people and meeting people. And it's going to be through un, um, unusual means, uh, through the use of social media, through the use of a telephone, which someone said on Facebook yesterday is like, so are, are phone calls going to become cool again? Um, I guess so. I think phone calls are going to become cool again. Uh, so this is something that we will continue. Beth and I have talked about how the podcast will continue to evolve. Um, how we will also use social media. We were going to try to live stream this, but we had some clunkiness with Facebook today. Um, but we'll see what we can do in the future about f future episodes. Um, and so that being said, I want to thank our guests, uh, Rich and Pat, and I'm going to send this over to Beth. Thank you. So before I do the outro, uh, Rich and Pat, can you tell our listeners where they can find you um, if you're if you're able to answer some questions or if folks just want to get in touch. Sure. I'll go uh, pwhitely at miami.edu is the best place to get me, find me, uh, have email and uh, we'll travel iPhone at all times. So that's the best way to get me. Uh, yeah. Uh, the same thing. My email is uh, richard at one class, O-N-E-C-L-A-S-S.com. Um, I'm talking to people all the time. And if you go to oneclass.com slash live stream, we are currently giving away 100,000 free tutoring hours 
um, to as many students as we can from the folks who work with us to try to to be a resource uh, for higher ed um, and to and to try to be helpful. But uh, especially if folks have questions about uh, ed tech and the online environment, especially as parents and want some pointers, I'd love to talk to you. Great. Thank you both again so much for being on the show today. Um, I want to thank Dave Yez, who's our producer, who hooked us all up and got us all together today from our various locations. You couldn't hear me, but I was laughing at your Beastie Boys reference. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> One day, one day, maybe we will get to do episodes again where we do more laughing. I hope so. Twin XL is a production of Pod 617. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. We are also on Twitter at Twin XL Pod. You can email us at twinxlpod at gmail.com. And if you want to support our show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin XL Podcast. You can toss us a dollar a month if you want um, to help us continue making these episodes. And uh, again, thank you so much to everyone who was on today. And we hope to bring you more uh, dispatches from the quarantine as soon as we can. Um, And I really hope that all of our listeners are doing well out there under these completely wild circumstances. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much.